Joe DeVito joins us. Hello there, Hi. Joe. Sorry to keep you waiting. No worries. You look... Put my, put you, my guitar down. You look fantastic. Every time I see you, you look better and better. This Thank quarantine you. agrees with you. It's, um, it's the virgin's blood. I can't say enough about it. <laughs> in Long Island? There are virgins in Long Island? It's imported. It's imported virgins. Okay. Yeah. How are you? How are you feeling? You look chiseled. <laughs> are you well, performing? Are you going out and doing the drive-in movie theaters? I did. Um, I did a couple of shows in parks. Uh, I well, did you've one been in doing Central shows Park. in parks until yeah. the Vice Squad comes and gets yeah. you. Yeah. Well, I realized uh, the fine line between stand-up comic and crazy street person has been erased. <laughs> one of them was good. Um, and then the other one, um, Amy Cooper mm, called, Amy Cooper called in a, a complaint. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I, I got Karen. No, no one even no one to, to step up to the plate for that. Um, yeah, I did, uh, I did two of those and I did an outdoor show in an Italian restaurant on like a patio. And, um, I'd say the highlight of that was when I was on stage, I said, isn't the food here great? We wouldn't know. Usually they feed the comics. And then that got, they, I shamed them into feeding us. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, Does comedy work outdoors during the day? Maybe at night, but during the day. Uh, you know, I have to tell you, the, the show in Central Park, it wasn't too bad. Like, I enjoyed it. I had a good time. Um, and then the one I did in Prospect Park, I think, was not as much fun for me because it was a younger audience. And I realized um, just going up and saying, oh, I'm a single 51 year old man. Like they had no idea what any of the words in that sentence meant. So mm -hmm. that was a little trickier. Um, you know, I had but, a fantasy. Uh, yes. Getting like a little boom box and a microphone mm -hmm. and just traveling around the country like Woody Guthrie. And walking into cafes and saying, "You want a comedy show?" And just like like barnstorming, barnstorming, just going into yeah. to bars and cafes with a hat, and just doing stand up. Want to do this with me? Well, you know, uh, that's predicated on indoors and cafes being open, and a hat, and a hat, and hats. So he had a hat. Yeah, it's it sucks, you know, because I, I remember back when I first started, there was a group of guys I ran with. And the way we would get our stage time was one of us would say, hey, I found a bar somewhere to let us do a show on right. Friday. And we would go show up with our little amp and our microphone. And, you know, it's funny. I always used to say, you know, I miss those days. And then I meant that of nostalgia. But now I miss those days as a source of income. Well, I think, you know, I think we could make more money mm -hmm. doing that. I mean. Seems to me I could walk into a coffee shop. I, yeah. Anytime I walk into a coffee shop, I go, where's the stage? Where do you put the stage? Do you do that? You walk into a bar, where do you put? Yeah, yeah. I went through a phase when I was producing a lot of little shows like that, that a friend of mine actually said, stop looking around for a place to set up the stage. But every place I looked at, I thought, but we could do a show here. And he would say, that's a check cashing place. They don't need you to come in there and do a show. <laughs> Yeah, I always used to think that. I'd look around and say, this was great, because comedy requires so little um, and is usually given so little. <laughs> and uh, yet and nobody that, figures it out, that, that when you show up mm. to a gig, the guy hiring you, unless it's a professional comedy club, and even then, I've been amazed at how stupidly they've been designed. Oh, yeah. 
I remember showing up to a gig in, a, in like a restaurant bar, and when I walked in, I saw a guy in this tiny corner playing a guitar to a bunch of people drinking and ignoring him. And I thought, oh, my God. And I said to the person who, who met me there, I said, this isn't where we're doing this show, is it? And he said, no, of course not. And he led me into a smaller, worse room. Yeah. So I was working, I was working the B room within that bar. I don't understand why people don't understand how simple it is. Clear sight lines. People yeah. have to sit, well, not anymore because of COVID, mm. but people have to sit next to each other. The chairs can't be comfortable. Yeah, has to be very cold. Letterman liked it freezing. Well, yeah, but the chairs should not be comfortable. People have to mm. sit upright and be next to each other and don't light them. The light has to yeah. be on the stage mm-hmm. and it should be so dark that you can't tell who's laughing but not so dark that somebody trips and then you can't compete with the laughs from that it's yeah, re- really quite simple and nobody very few people get it right yeah well yeah i'm mean, sure you know again like i said there are gigs that i've shown up to where you look at the setup and think, who thought this was a good idea? I would right. like to speak to the person who thought that this was going to be a successful night of entertainment. I've shown up for, for gigs where they said, yeah, the comedians are going to be behind that um, that wall over there and the people can still hear you or that you're going to be up on top of um, up on top of the table or something like that. I, I remember going to one gig where everything I asked, the, the answer made it so much worse. I just stopped asking questions <laughs> and said, I'm just going to take the hit on this one. And it was as bad. And I remember when I left the... Um, the booker texted me and said, so how was it? And I said, it, as I told you, it was going to be bad. And it was actually even worse than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> Worst gig in the past two years. Worst oh, gig. in the past two years. Uh, and by definition, the worst gig is you on your way thinking it's going to be great. Right. If oh, you know it's bad, it's yeah. never bad. It's, it's, the, it's the finding out. It's like going out on a date and discovering he or she is a psychopath. Huh. Within the past two years, I know there have been a few where I came home and I was, I was pissed off. Um, I can tell you my, probably my least favorite one ever. You know, it's the strangest thing that the, the good feeling from a good gig dissipates so quickly. Mm-hmm. But this, this stink of a bad one. This was like... I'd have to say this was eight to 10 years ago. And I still like clench my fists when I think about it. It was a men's golf outing at a country club in Jersey. And when I got there, the, the booker's uh, partner, she was supposed to be helping me get set up. And I looked around and there was, there was really no place that made sense for the audience, which was going to be all men who were out getting plastered. They were out getting drunk at, at like 2 PM. Everything was bad. And I saw they had a line of, um, steam trays and then there was a doorway at the end and they said we're going to put your microphone right in that doorway and i said well there's no lighting and they said sorry and i said well you're going to take the food this the buffet food will be gone by the time i go up and he said yes uh but while you're up there we're going to be replacing it with the sunday bar Mm. so he said to me um so what do you think and i said well it's going to be tough because of the setup but i'm going to give it the best shot i can and when he walked away, the, the booker's assistant looked at me and she said, I can't believe you said that in front of the client. I said, look, I got to get everybody's expectations adjusted here because this is going to be brutal. And she said, would it help if I got you a chair? And I said, are you implying I stand on a chair the whole time I'm doing this? And she said, oh, I'm just trying to help. And they were, they were rude. I remember um, if I had done that same gig 
later, I just would have challenged everyone in the room to fight me. <laughs> it, it would have been easier, which I had done at a gig once. I did that once at a gig in, um, I think, Williamsburg, where they were, this was for a different reason. They were so, so hip. They just were really annoying. And I went up and I mentioned how usually I talk about how nerdy I look. And I looked at them and said, I think I could beat the crap out of everyone in this room here. <laughs> and they laughed. I said, I'm serious. I will fight anyone in this room. And no one said anything. Because it was a battered women's shelter. Well, you know, I should probably read the paperwork closely before I show. <laughs> no, they were, um, they were very annoying. And, but, you know, and I don't say this. I'm certainly not a tough guy. But I would, it would, been, I would rather have taken a beating than do some of these gigs. It really takes an emotional. But problem. if you know up front it's going to be horrible, you're fine with it. If, I think you can steal your nerves a little bit. If you're like, driving you know, out, it's coming. Yeah. If you said to me, "I got a, a crap gig. Mm. You want to drive two hours, and it's it's going to be the worst experience of your life." I go, "Great." <laughs> now I know what I, I used to. I used to do yeah. those kind of gigs. At least I knew, I knew what I was up against. But it's when something, it's the disappointment that something so horrible yeah. could have been good, but for the stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those gigs where you show up and they, they say, oh, you needed a microphone? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, that, that would have been helpful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, Angriest um, the audience ever got at you. I can't imagine an audience getting angry at you. You know, I, I don't mind anger. It's, I think it's when they ignore you. That's what really hurts. When you're just, I'd rather be hated than irrelevant. Um, but I, I, I did a gig in the city once where they, the person who produced it wanted to have a Q&A after. And I had gotten into it with a couple of people in the crowd for, for being lame. I pretty much just ripped on them the whole time because they were, they were pretty crappy. And um, afterward, uh, I, I remember some guy in the audience said, uh, he said, hey, never blame the audience. And I said, well, you clearly have never been a performer because it's frequently the audience's fault. Anybody <laughs> who said it's never the audience's fault right. has never been on stage. But, you know, it's too late by then. You just have to, you know, you just have to realize that once you go on stage, it's your problem. And then. Do you think you have too much of a work ethic? Do you think um, some comedians, like, have you ever, I've never, ever walked off stage mm -hmm. once, once I did. Um, and I've never showed up at a gig and said, I can't do, I won't do this. I bailed on a Zoom thing the other day. <laughs> but I don't think that that counts. Um, Why, well, it does. What 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 happened? It it was someone said, "Hey, it's going to be a show. It's going to be fun." And then when I logged on, the co-producer who um, I thought seemed a little shaky was saying, "How no, it's actually something we're going to try and sell, and that we're going to just wait, pause for the laughs because there's no audience, so we're going to dub laughs in." And I said, "You know, I don't I don't really need to do this." I, right. And you know what the worst part is now with, with the lockdown, I can't really say I have better things to do because everyone knows that if I did, I probably did them all by April 10th. So <laughs> do you, but wait a second. I don't, I believe you do have better things to do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. I do have, I do have any, but anything would be better than that. You know, elective surgery would be better than that now that they're, they're open again. So yeah. It's, now when it's they say elective thing. surgery, mm-hmm. It should really be elective. Where we don't you think we should vote on surgery for certain people? I don't have the bit uh, figured out yet, but I think it, <laughs> maybe there's something with the electoral college factoring yeah, in there. There's certain, you know, maybe yeah. uh, 
Why does Rhode Island get to decide if I get dental implants? <laughs> so you you turned it down. Did you feel guilty? Um, I did. Didn't feel good because I know that the person who hooked me up with it, I, you know, that was kind of a. I didn't feel good about that, but I just messaged her and said, "Hey, I'm really sorry. This this isn't what I thought it was going to be. So I'm going to have to say no." And then I dropped out. Do you think there are certain people in our business who? you know, not physically dangerous, mm-hmm. but are are dangerous to your career, that they can talk you into doing things or be working on a project with you mm. who are are harmful, that they, they can destroy your reputation, your career, put you in a situation that you really should not be in, but they put you into it and you have to be oh, with yeah. them. They're- well, that's what this thing that I passed on, the her co-producer, he reminded me of in, in comedy, there's a lot of people who have, I guess what you would call harebrained schemes. And they, they think like, oh, if we just do this, we're guaranteed to have a big hit. And they focus on everything beside their lack of talent and mm-hmm. the fact that they're putting together a terrible show. So yeah, those people can be bad. Um, yeah, it's. I have to tell you, David. The more I, I look back at stand up as a, you know, this thing that I used to do, <laughs> that hopefully I'll get to do again. I'm amazed that it ever worked. It just seemed like it was asking so much. I think that's why those nights when you have those really good shows, you just feel so awesome because it's like you think of what you pulled off. It's it's like going up and and saying something that makes everyone sneeze at the same time. And it, it has nothing to do with this. Like I think back to the, you know, that weekend that we worked at that club in Princeton. And yeah, small room, it's kind of a goofy setup. But we had so much fun. Mm-hmm. Just was so much fun that you and I could go up and just like I think we both knew which jokes we would say that would make the other one of us laugh the most. And that's where it's fun. It's just like being an idiot with your friends when you're a teenager and, right. and being inappropriate in public. It's it's so much entertainment value. And then somebody hands you cash at the end of the night. Yeah, and yeah, it feels it a, real. And it feels it's like a pretty it's, good racket. Yeah, it, it's real money. Mm. It, it's you know, I've always felt stand-up comedy was real money that you're that you earned. There, there, it was un, undeniable. You put the work in. Yeah. When do when do we get back to doing it? I mean, you're doing I, it outdoors, but I did a few outdoors. Although I yeah. heard that in um, in Manhattan, they're the they're breaking it up in the parks not letting people do the shows anymore which i don't understand what the difference is between someone speaking and people listening and someone telling jokes and an audience assembling i, I don't see what the legal distinction could be but who knows we're in, we're living in clown world now so it, it i don't know why you could say one thing is legal and one thing is not legal anymore it's just such, it's so ridiculous when do you see these clubs coming back and are they going out of business I think a lot of them are going to go out of business, just like, you know, there's their service industry, their restaurant bars. And what restaurant bar has a year of reserve money to sit on and, and can go a year with putting off rent and stuff? It's it's a bad situation, man. And I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think, you know, I, I think of a friend of mine who owns a private gym and they won't let him open. And he's saying, but you can go to Walmart, you can go to casinos but you, but you can't let me open this thing that I put my my life into. It's very sad. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what the answer is. Um, but well, would you go to a gym? Would you go to? Would you feel safe in a gym? <laughs> uh, I think I would. I think I would. Um, 
But it's a funny thing, too, where I read the news reports and they say, you know, it really, it really is only a concern for pre-existing conditions and, and older people. And I'm like, thank God. And they say, yes, men over 50. And I'm like, shit. Right. Now I'm in that. Now I'm in a group, you know. Right. Um, but I guess it all depends on what you consider odds. The, the, when you say that the, the odds are below 1%, that sounds pretty good unless you're in that group. Is there a little part of you? Mm -hmm. I mean, this is it's getting worse. I, I find yeah. myself getting. I forget that we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And I go, why do I, I why do I feel so? But is we've we talked about this when it started. Yeah. The world and certainly America was moving towards something that had to stop for the sake of the planet and mm. ourselves. What are you never going to do again? Oh, well. You I'll know, tell I you just, what I'm never going to do again. What's that? Well, not never. I don't think I'm going to eat out the way I used to. Yeah. I, I have noticed that depending on other people to cook my food has mm. been deleterious to my health. And Oh, okay. I, I get that. Um, I think I'm going to stop um, paying women to cough in my face. I should have stopped that. I mean, I know it's weird, but I just felt like, you know, I couldn't ask someone I knew to do that. I was ashamed. Um, I think um, my experience with working the cruise ships is done. I don't see how anyone could do that. You know, it goes to show you how much things can change. I remember even talking to you about this stuff last year, thinking, hey, no matter what happens, I'll always have the cruise ships to fall back on right. now that I've gotten into this. And now, you know, that that whole time in March when I was on that ship thinking, I, I just can't wait to get off this damn thing. And I made it out just in time. So, yeah, I guess there's we have to we, we can't look at this as a dream we're in and that we're going to wake up and and sort of wipe our brows and say, oh, OK, things are back to normal. It's just a different way. We're going to have to have a different way of interacting with each other. Um, Things happen very quickly. I, I, there was an article yeah. that I was reading about how all the big chains are leaving Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And I hate to see these jobs disappear. I hate to see yeah. anybody lose their work. You know, that being said, things happen very quickly. These chains disappear and nature pours a vacuum, I hope, and new things replace them isn't there a part of you that thinks these jobs in new york city these retail jobs never really paid all that much they were unnecessary it was all clothing yeah. and makeup and jewelry maybe maybe with a little push from the government we can see actual industry in new york where people are making something of value that that we need, that these malls yeah. that are being turned over now to supermarkets, that maybe one or two libraries, a playhouse, could go into these malls and we can rebuild this economy in, in a better way. I, I what, are, what have we, other than, I hate to see, Believe me, we're all suffering. I hate to see this economy this way. But what are we really losing in terms of quality of life? 
in terms of the malls going on. Yeah. It was a well, lousy way to live. I think we're seeing that a lot of the side effects of some of the the luxury we had in our life, how non-essential things that we thought were like you don't you don't need like fashion, for example. Fashion is something you have when you have a society that's got a lot of excess going on. Um, you don't need a whole lot to live. Now, the question is, are, are people going to focus on more important things? I don't know. You know, there's a moment at the beginning of, of the crisis where I thought, oh, maybe we'll finally appreciate people who have the really hard dro- jobs in our society. Maybe we'll really appreciate not just the, the nurses and doctors and all that, but the garbage men, the truck drivers and all that. But that didn't last because we don't want to. We don't want to appreciate people who actually work. We, we, now we just shifted our focus to who's, who, who's big on TikTok and shit like that. So we, um, I, I think the saddest thing is that if we go through all this and we don't learn anything from it. Um, and I just know in my own personal life, I am trying to learn from this, that I am very fortunate. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. I'm bored. I'm worried about the economics of it, but it's not a life or death death thing for me. So I don't want to be one of these people who goes through something and at the end they haven't learned, they haven't changed. But as far as what we'll be like as a country or as a world, I can't say because there's no way you can predict, predict any of this stuff. I mean, look at the predictions from just four months ago, how absurd they seem now. I mean, I even noticed that when I was going through um, – some old social media posts just trying to clear out some stuff. And I think, wow, I can't believe that uh, that used to matter to me, that that used to be a big deal. And that is a weird thing, too, because I've noticed that when I go and watch comedy from before this, can you, can you go back and do that material where you're complaining about waiting in line at a supermarket? You know, does the audience hear that? And do they think, oh, I'm going to shift into the magical memories of back then? Or do we only want to hear things that are in this moment right now? I, right. I don't know. I don't know. Um, Interesting. To be continued, I hope. Are you teaching? Yeah, yeah I've got a few of my, um, my one-on-one students. The classes are on hold for the, for the moment now. Um, but I'm, I'm, doing, um, I'm doing some writing. I've got some, some writing gigs I'm hopeful for. Um, and, you know, I've been, I've been trying to set up things in my apartment where my little recording studio will be. So in my apartment now is a home. It's a home gym. It's a recording studio. It's a home office. There's a lot going on here, a lot of pieces I need to move around. I have my, my little weight set and stuff. I just ordered a squat squat stand. So um, all I can ask is that eventually when they find my dead body pinned under a barbell, that please magnetize my hard drive. I just don't, people, <laughs> they don't need to know what I've been looking at in the, those lonely, lonely moments. Joe DeVito, Joe DeVito Comedy on Twitter, Dry Bar, the name of Dry Bar's blown up. It's huge. The the video on YouTube has 700,000 hits and 1.3 million on Facebook and you can watch for free. You can watch it for free by going to, go you can watch it for free by going to Dry Bar. Notice how I stumbled through that it was the envy and the jealousy and the <laughs> uh, drybar.comedy forward slash Joe D. Or you can just go to uh, YouTube and Dry Bar Comedy and look for my name. Fantastic. Thank you, David. Joe. David, hello. Hello. Oh, hello. Could, I, could, could I answer a question that David brought up? Yes, Dr. Philip Hershenfeld. Yes. But, but before you do okay. that, um, Joe, how you doing? Hey, what's going on? Hey, this is my dad, Phil. He's he's seen you perform also. Oh, this right on. Okay. I have. See you. 
Okay. You're a good guy. Thank you. <laughs> the question is not what's the risk. There's always risk. The mm -hmm. question is how much added risk am I willing to assume in order to do whatever the thing is? Getting out of bed in, morning, in the morning is a risk. Although staying in bed all day is also a risk because you get a pulmonary embolism. Mm. So that's the question you have to ask. Is the restaurant going to be that worth it that I'm going to add 3.7% risk to my life or the gym or the whatever? If you think you've got an appendicitis, yeah, you're going to take a whole lot more risk to get that looked at. Yeah, you're right. And I think we see it with people who we're all deciding what we consider acceptable risk, where you'll see some people will wear a mask in some situations, but they'll wear it at half mast if they go somewhere else. Right. Very strange. But, you know, we all do this kind of calculations. Um, yeah. All I can say is that if you if you're thinking of coming to see anywhere I'm performing, you must be willing to take that risk. <laughs> if you're willing to be an audience member, you have to be willing to say I'm prepared to sacrifice everything to see Joe DeVito. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Uh, Thanks. Thank you. See you guys. Thank you. Thank Bye. you.